Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Expeditors Podcast, where we look at the world of shipping through the lens of a global logistics provider. I'm your host, Chris Parker, and today's topic, the booming business of booze. Yes, the beer, wine, and spirits industry has evolved in interesting ways over the last few years, whether it was from customer behaviors to new products hitting the market. But like transporting a very full glass of wine to my wife, they can be a hard product to move. So whether it's spillage or spoilage, what makes beer, wine, and spirits goods unique when it comes to their supply chains? Thankfully, I have business development managers Angela Doe representing South Asia, Andreas Buch from Europe, and Matteo Del Zoppo from the Americas to teach me a thing or two. Welcome, everyone. Thank you, Chris. Thank you so much, Chris. Welcome, Chris. All right. So before we get started, and it's so nice to have all three of you here, uh, I want to get to know uh, each of you just a little bit before we start talking. So uh, let's start with Angela, then Andreas, and then Matteo. So Angela, can you give me a little bit about your background? Yes, sure. Uh, I'm Angela, originally from China, been currently living in New Zealand. I have been doing beer, wine, spirits, logistics for more than 13 years. And I'm WSET level 3 certified, so, which I have advanced wine knowledge and I love wine logistics. Uh, yeah, hi, Chris. Uh, thanks for the opportunity. Uh, so I'm Danish originally, uh, but I haven't lived in Denmark for the last uh, 25 years. I've been based in, uh, in markets like uh, South Africa, uh, Chile, uh, and a couple of Central European markets. And wow. all of that time, I've been dealing with uh, logistics for beer, wine, and spirits. Uh, so I'm not only passionate about the, the product itself, but also around uh, all the logistics uh, and, and what that implies. Matteo? Yes, I agree. Well, I work uh, for the company for Expeditor since 15 years. I'm originally from uh, Milan, Italy. And uh, all my life, uh, as you can imagine, I've been uh, drinking wines at a legal age. And then I moved <laughs> to the US five years ago to New York, uh, where I had uh, the opportunity to develop some verticals like um, retail fashions and uh, beer wines and spirits uh, added to my portfolio. Help me understand what is going on right now in the world of moving beer, wine, and spirits, or, you know, just for conversations, like we'll call them BWS, right? So what is happening right now in this space? Well, Chris, as you may have noticed in the past couple of years, uh, we had the chance to spend more times in our private households, in our mm -hmm. house, uh, <laughs> yep. with remote working and some difficulties to supply outside. So that brings to a development uh, and increase in consumptions also in beer, ones and spirits mm -hmm. uh, in private households more than at restaurants or from the outside. So we've seen uh, a, an increase in the consumptions and overall the industry has performed pretty well in the past couple of years compared to other industries uh, globally. I think also channels have shifted quite a lot. So you see new channels like e-commerce are booming in, in this sector, obviously powered by the issues that Matteo was just calling upon. Yeah, so a, a lot of things are going on in, in the industry. There are a lot. Uh, happened in the last two years, and it's consistent changing, involving in the industry as well. In Asia, um, as a typical emerging market, what I uh, would mention here is at-home consumption, because uh, people just started drinking wine, but the pandemic gave them more time to stay at home now, more opportunity to experience wine. That's uh, Actually, at home consumption actually will boost uh, B2B consumption in this region for the future. Folks in general are not just drinking more, they're drinking differently too. 
Yeah, can be. Yeah, you, yeah. you can drink more, can drink better, and drink you know all the different products, especially the uh, newly created products, because we have seen the category in BWS industry keep evolving as well. And in terms of kind of yearly demand, and I know that it's a unique time for the last couple of years, just because consumption is changing. But even before that, alcohol has been around for a very long time, right? What were the yearly trends or the demands that are kind of expected each year? Uh, in this space, COVID definitely have you know significant impacts onto global BWS industry in terms of the consumption. Uh, however, uh, once again, beverage industry has proven itself you know to be one of the most crisis-proof industry in the world because it's performed better than we expected at the beginning of COVID, and well, overall global uh, consumption declined still. However. The declining rate actually was way lower than we expected, like in back to 2020. Initial expectation was minus 12%. Mm-hmm. And then it was adjusted to 8%. But at the end, it was about 6% only. So overall, really? this industry actually was doing much better. Even for champagne, you know, that's typical uh, celebration drinks actually right, right. Uh, have been doing great uh, during COVID. Yeah, working from home actually in some way help us to save some uh, living expenses. So people have money to spend and they can definitely can spend on their favorite drinks. Now, Angela, you said that beer, wine and spirits proved to be a crisis proof industry. What do you mean by that? Uh, Well, for us have been working in beverage logistics for 10, 20 years. Actually, we have witnessed all the industry changes over the years. Mm -hmm. Uh, Since 2008, 2009, that was uh, the global um, economy crisis. And then we have SARS and then COVID. Actually, uh, during the whole period, PWS industry have been uh, proven highly resistant to global changes. That's why sometimes we feel like we are in this industry because uh, uh, when economic was down, people were unhappy they drink. When mm-hmm. economic went well, people have more money to spend the drink as well. So sure. overall, yeah, it's yeah. a great industry <laughs> to work for. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and for Andreas and Matteo, in your respective areas, what kind of uh, trends or such have you been seeing? I think in, in Europe, you see a, a big shift uh, towards cooler climate products. I mean, there is a lot of uh, focus on biodynamic, ecological uh, wines uh, and, and everything that comes with that. Uh, mm-hmm. there, there is a lot of demand in low alcoholic or non, uh, non-alcoholic uh, products. Uh, so that is... All of those elements have impacted the supply, but it's definitely also impacting the demand in, in quite a few markets. In, uh, in my area, I would say that uh, I've been noticing an increase in uh, diversifications of labels and uh, the offerings at all level at restaurants, at supermarkets uh, has been increasing and people are looking for uh, different varieties of wines from different regions and uh, trying to taste and to experiment new um, experiences into into wines mm-hmm. um, so the, the, also that was reflected into the industry that uh, saw a growth in the portfolio of the labels uh, managed by each company uh, there's been a wider range of uh, centralizations concentrations of different labels different uh, products within the same uh, uh, major importers like uh, 
in the US. Uh, US is a market driven by major importance wor- uh, importers uh, worldwide. Uh, so I would say that uh, an increase in the portfolio and increase in the different diversifications of, of the offerings from the brands, from the companies has been uh, uh, increased um, pretty much in the, in the past few years. Could one of you describe, I guess, how is this industry laid out in terms of the competitors within here? Uh, who are the players in beer, wine and spirits? So uh, traditionally you have a grower. Uh, who is producing the wine. Uh, and then if you follow the chain, there will be an importer on the other side. Uh, he could be selling to a, a wholesaler uh, or a distributor. And uh, then you have a retailer or you have what you call uh, trade. So the whole restaurant and uh, hotel uh, segment. Uh, so these are the different players. And then obviously, uh, lately, uh, e-commerce and, uh, and other uh, internet-driven companies or business models have occurred. And then how competitive has the space been, especially given the last couple of years? I know that there's a lot of um, new products that I see coming out, but is there a lot of acquisitions and stuff happening right now? How competitive is this? Angela, let's start with you. Um, yeah, I think it is a quite competitive market already. With, with the consuming consumption demand, the large companies will try to increase their market share by uh, acquire small companies, especially for a unique niche product. And well, uh, all the companies are trying to find more distribution channels, of course, e-commerce, uh, of course, and be more creative on product and be more creative or involving to build up customer experience to differentiate themselves to their competitors. I guess it's been mentioned a couple of times here, but e-commerce, right? I, I, it's been brought up at least three times. I've counted now on my fingers here. If, if e-commerce is making it more uh, beer, wine, and spirits products more accessible to the consumer at home, how is it impacting the restaurants, um, the hospitality industry? And what changes is that requiring uh, from forwarders like us or from you know sh- uh, people shipping on their own? I think it requires a, a service provider uh, that is very agile and able to adapt to the market conditions and are able to uh, support customers uh, in much wider geographies uh, compared to previous. Um, so yeah, I think that's one of the main main impacts. So you know, Chris, also uh, this leads to um, pointing the fingers to a switch in the modality by which wines, beer, wines, and spirits uh, are. Uh, uh, transported. Uh, typically, a few years ago, uh, the majority of uh, BWS were moving through ocean freight, ocean carriers, tanks. While right now, um, also because of the e-commerce, this new channel uh, of selling, uh, transit time is increasingly important, and there's a, a big switch uh, uh, from ocean to air freight for mm-hmm. beer ones and spirits. So that also um, had been a big switch a big change had a big impact in the industry uh, traditionally companies didn't have too much budget for air freight allocated to to air freight in the past while right now we're seeing increasingly uh, air freight uh, rfqs or air freight uh, requests for quotations from uh, everywhere to to everywhere basically to satisfy the increasing demand for a diversified products that's a good point. Moving to air, is speed to market a, a factor that really drives the decision making in the beer, wine, and spirit space? Do they need to be getting the products out 
as fast as possible? I think it's an excellent, excellent question, Chris. Um, a lot of producers in this world, especially around the, the spirits and the wines, uh, are really trying to develop more exclusive products. So there is a trend for premiumization across the board, if you will. Mm-hmm. And very much related to that trend, you see often a desire for direct-to-consumer or being able to deal with your consumer in a faster fashion. Mm-hmm. And that's where different solutions come into play. So whereas like a hotel or a restaurant could have a larger stock of goods, products are being ordered at a very individual level or down to like the residential level. And so they, they expect those products to be available on hand, right? Yeah, but also if you travel around in beautiful Piemonte in, in Italy and, and you do a couple of wine tastings and you want to have a couple of those bottles uh, sent home, a lot of companies would be able to support you um, to, to get those by air back home uh, fairly quickly. Actually, how much is that happening from direct from the manufacturer uh, versus from a distribution center or some kind of like holding space? It's probably more for the for the people who are a bit uh, nerdy about their wines. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> because why tourism was a part of the industry too. So direct buying from winery um, was increasing because the consumer might think that will be the best way to sourcing the wine and plus take the good protection of the wine shipping. And back to your previous question, you mentioned about why people are thinking about air. Actually, timing uh, is one of the important factors here, especially in Q3, Q4, end of the year. It will be the Christmas New Year and uh, Chinese New Year period. Typically, yeah. that's the best timing for uh, BWS selling. So what we know, ocean market is so challenging. However, you got to get the product to the consumer market and deliver to consumers. So air is you know, an unavoidable option to look at. So in mm-hmm. some cases, we even have to look at uh, charter air freight as, as an option because traditionally, uh, you know, air has been shipped by ocean because it's a dense cargo, heavy cargo. However, now air, we have seen air is on increasing demand for BWS. That's an excellent point that you bring up about being a dense cargo. Because um, I know that weight may not be so much a factor on a large container ship, right? It holds 10,000 plus containers on there at, at times. But for air, that's a totally unique situation because they have to you know, weigh it out properly. So by nature of this product, what are the demands and and requirements that they need in order to be moved properly, safely, and successfully? I think there are a number of factors that are really important for the traders in this industry. Mm -hmm. Uh, For for quite a few... products temperature is is an issue a lot of a lot of these products are uh, under excise uh, so there are additional uh, duties and taxes uh, that has to be um, covered or or uh, managed in the in transit mm-hmm. but also the the safety in terms of of both breakage uh, but also it's it, unfortunately a lot of these uh, products are quite fast resellable on, on on the black market if you will so oh, sure. all kinds of safety measures are, are super important for the players in, in this industry yeah i would i would point out to the liability issues as andreas was saying uh, in regards to the excise uh, whenever you have to deliver wines and in certain countries in certain areas like like in the United States. So definitely it's crucial to have a partner capable to 
cope and deal with all the requirements uh, of a specific region. Uh, in the US in particular, we are pretty well structured to handle all these kind of um, situations and uh, we are very well equipped to deal with these compliance requirements. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I want to touch on that actually too. Like, What are the re compliance requirements uh, needed for beer, wine, and spirits? I think you need you need to be sure that uh, you're working with a customs broker who, who is at all times uh, aware of latest legislation and these products being regulated uh, by authorities in most markets, uh, legislation can change quite quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, we've seen that uh, over a number of different uh, administrations in Washington, uh, in Washington the last couple of uh, years, how fast that could move. And I think you need, you need really an agile and, and professional um, company to, to manage all those aspects in order to ensure that you are compliant at all steps of the way or at every step of the way uh, when you're bringing your goods into the market. Being very well connected uh, through the entire supply chain, so uh, working with partners capable to interact one another, uh, that uh, help you to collect all the necessary data mm -hmm. that facilitate to be compliant in transmitting all those data uh, to the authorities in order to file appropriately the, the entry. On the topic of compliance here, um, since I'm half Korean, and so there's a Korean beverage that I really love called makgeolli, right? It is a fermented rice drink of some sort, but it's not quite beer. It's not quite it's not quite wine. So, like the FDA, if, if I'm if I if last time I checked, uh, doesn't know how to classify it properly in terms of whether it's a beer or a wine or something like that, right? It's just an alcoholic beverage of some sort. So I'm curious, you know, given the variety of beverages out there, new products that are coming out, um, all these new spaces that are being looked into, is compliance difficult for beer, wine, and spirits? I would say yes. Uh, well, situation might be different uh, in different countries. However, what you brought up was uh, totally correct. Uh, following the uh, new products, new category uh, involving in this industry, we have seen that uh, the category actually blurred a bit. Previously, mm. we 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 said we, we said you know uh, alcoholic beverage and non-alcoholic beverage, but now we have more and more product which is uh, in the middle somewhere. We we need to try to figure out. And the people are more interested into more flavored products as well. So mm -hmm. um give you an example. Um, some customer brought uh, products to us, asked us to help classify HS code. And it's uh, consistent of a more than 50 kind of ingredients in that kind of drinks. Uh, yeah, in this situation, we really need the customer to you know share all the information about this product. And then right. we will need to do a thorough check, probably, you know, uh, check with the customer officer even to find out the right classification before we can import this product. Yeah, absolutely. So clear communication, be open with what is in your beverages so that you can classify them yeah, properly. Yeah, because exactly. if, if you don't, what happens? Uh, it will be stopped at customers. Your cargo wouldn't, you know, even a uh, container arrive to the port, but your cargo wouldn't, you know, get into the country. You will never, you know, reach out to your consumers. So actually, I want to talk about those blurred lines a little bit more. So what are some products right now that are changing the way that we look at beer, wine and spirit products? My first re reaction would be, you know, shelf life. Um, I have learned my hard lesson about this because uh, I bought, uh, you know, trays of uh, RTD drinks, which is ready to uh, drink soft drinks or uh, low alcoholic drinks. Mm -hmm. But we didn't finish during the party and then I just left it behind. Then it turned out all expired already. 
that's remind me actually uh, with all the RTD drinks, it's generally have a shorter shelf life. When uh, okay. we drink wine and spirits, you probably never worry about it. It can you know be sitting there for years. However, yeah. with RTD drinks, it's supposed to be drink. Uh, fresh, so that's uh, it should be cons- taken into consideration for us as a free folder and for consumers as well. So you just buy when you want to drink and check the shelf life. Make sure you can you drink it freshly. Which brings in the whole conversation of air versus ocean, right? If especially if RTDs have a relatively short shelf life too, right? And those are yeah. like, mm-hmm. help me understand, those are like canned cocktails and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, generally one year or eighteen months. But why generally we know like Burgundy can last for you know decades. Okay, so with that out of the way, I want to now know the let's let's talk about a little bit more about supply chain. Distilleries and wineries are kind of funky creatures because they're locked to a specific region. How does that affect how we design supply chains for beer, wine, and spirit customers? I think when you are a, a global company like we are and you have boots on the ground in multiple geographies, you are more likely to give a, a high-end service to those players because you have a proximity to where, where the production takes place. So if you want to if you want to produce champagne uh, as a classic example, uh, you got to be in champagne. Uh, sure. <laughs> so there's only one region where you can do that. Uh, and obviously uh, we are close by, but, but the same counts for uh, many other locations around the world where you have a product that is linked to the particularities or, or the soil or the toit of, of, um, of a certain place. You know? oh, yes, in regards to logistics, mm-hmm. uh, uh, dealing with a logistics service provider capable to, uh, in a multi-mode uh, approach to, to the environment, to the business, mm-hmm. having a logistics service provider capable to provide all modes of transportation, uh, going from ocean to air to transcon to mm-hmm. white glove deliveries uh, when I think to domestically in the U.S., uh, delivery to prime location for prime wines, uh, sometimes inside um, exhibition centers, sometimes inside uh, distribution centers, sometimes inside private households. That requires a full detailed approach to uh, the bookings, to the delivery, to, I mean, you know, all, all these kind of little details that make a difference. And having one single service provider, uh, like a one-stop shop service provider that can provide you all these arrays of uh, complexity that helps a lot of uh, those guys in the industry to cope with their requirements in such a changing environment. Yeah, because there are some distributors or or large companies out there with I think one of them I saw had 600 plus product offerings, right? So that that flexibility is absolutely key for them to get their products out successfully, whether it's for, you know, different shelf lives, uh, varying regions of origin for products. I, you brought up a high value thing too. Luxury products are also a consideration to to keep here within beer, wine and spirits. Um, has that changed over the last couple of years or is it changing? Yes, yeah, definitely changing. Yeah. People are drinking better now. <laughs> they're not drinking more. They're drinking better products. Too, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. No, they drink more and even they drink better. So yeah. uh, premiumization <laughs> actually is one of the trend in beverage industry. We have seen that. We have keep seeing that, you know, global companies are launching premium and super premium product. And they have um, more emphasized the customer experience to their VIP customer or high end customers. This business actually growing significantly globally as well. Now, I think on that topic as well, I think when you have the premiumization and, and you, you are dealing with very demanding, uh, very um, affluent uh, end customers, mm-hmm. you also want to make sure that the route to market 
is perfectly well managed. Uh, when you think about GPS device uh, called Cargo Signal, for example, I don't think that it's it's a secret that it's becoming so popular because it's measuring all the elements uh, that are interesting for a producer or, or an importer of, of these high-end products. Uh, you, they measure the temperature, the humidity, uh, the light effects, uh, the exposure to tilt, uh, mm -hmm. and of course, the GPS location at any given time. So you have really all the components that a trader is interested in. And that way you ensure that when the goods are handed over to, to the customer, that you have covered for any eventualities and that hopefully that we meet uh, with all the components, we meet the expectations uh, and, and that the goods have been uh, moved uh, correctly. Yeah, that, uh, that's a great point too, right? Like we're we are well in the age of information, and so the the tech, like the IoT, is definitely something that has been applicable or used within the space because of high value goods needing that visibility on these products because they want to make sure that things are moving safely and they're getting to where they're supposed to be because they're very expensive products. It, it makes total total sense. Um, I want to, as I bring this topic to a close here, I want to ask. I'm thinking of my wife, right? If I if I make her a Vukure. Why should she care about what's going on when it comes to moving beer, wine, and spirits? Why, why should she be concerned with, uh, with any of this? The drinking experience will be different if she doesn't care about how, you know, the um, BFS was shipped because there are so many factors uh, which could impact uh, the quality of the product, mm. like temperature, humidity, vibration, and of course, the shelf life. This is something we mentioned just now. So... Well, in the worst case, you know, uh, the beverage could be uh, spoiled or damaging, uh, leakage. Uh, however, you probably will smell different, taste the difference, and then overall give you a bad drinking experience. That's right, what right. Yeah, that would reckon. So, so the, really the, the largest impact to the end customer is not only the supply, but also the quality of the product when they when it's at the point of consumption, right? So if things are not handled properly within the supply chains or within, you know, with having a good relationship with your partner who's moving these goods for you, you could have a very poor customer experience at the end of it all, which impacts yeah. which impacts you yes. as the distillery, as the brewery, as the winery. Um, that's a very good point to understand why does this smell funky? It's because <laughs> things are a big challenge right now. So then as a shipper of beer, wine, and spirits, whether brewery, winery, distillery, what are some things coming to light that, should be considered or are important to consider when trying to move successfully to avoid spillage, to avoid delays, to avoid shortages, things like that? Or has that ship sailed? Are we looking at 2023 <laughs> at this point? Route and speed to market. Mm. I think you need to be very aware what is the route to market and what's the speed to market and where do you have potential pitfalls, especially right now in the, in the supply chain crunch we see globally. You really need to be sure that all the elements, whether it's the transportation, both on the, on land, on water and air, but also the connection with customs brokerage, that everything is seemingly connected and coordinated in a professional way, that you, you don't have the product standing on terminals or in transit that can't be customs cleared, as Angela was mentioning before. Mm -hmm. You really need to be sure that that your speed and route to market uh, is set up perfectly well. I would suggest be proactive. Do your uh, shipping forecast. We know situation change. However, plan is always uh, crucial. It's still top important. Mm -hmm. And be aware of all the global uncertainties. Uh, from what we can see, shipping situation won't be improved in the near future yet. So be prepared for the middle to long term still. 
and stay agile and be、uh, resilient because、uh, understand how early your products need to get to your、uh, destination and then find out the most suitable shipping、uh, options, either air or ocean or air plus ocean in some、mm-hmm. situation, and be open with your、uh, free folder partners and share all your business plan and then. Get them to、uh, find out the most、uh, cost-effective solution, and be more cautious for temperature protection. I know、right. historically, yeah, there are some protection in place. However, now maybe your cargo need to travel longer and、uh, travel further, maybe more distance to get to the final market. So think about all the risks in terms of temperature, humidity change. So either use insulation. Liner, or use a reefer container、mm-hmm. for temperature control. So, get your products protected. That will protect your、uh, products brand, your, your own brand, and plus that will increase your、uh, customer experience to your end consumers. Mm-hmm. Matteo, yes, I would increase、uh, and empower the visibility on all the supply chains. That helps to have an educated choice on、uh, how to move, where to move, and、uh, which plan B to put in place in order、mm-hmm. to satisfy your customer requirements.、Uh, crucial nowadays is to have a full set of visibility platforms and interconnectivity with all the supply chain actors that can help you. Taking a good advice on how to move and how to overcome some issues that we are、uh, seeing every day in supply chain since many years now. That overcome to those issues、uh, in an agile、uh, way. I think that's an excellent point. We all know right now that there are a lot of upstream challenges for the players in the industry. There is a lack of、uh, bottles and glasses,、uh, so there are bottlenecks in many different areas. <laughs> Literally, the,、uh, yeah, <laughs> or lack of bottlenecks. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we all know there are a lot of challenges right now. But I think if we discuss in advance, and if we have a certain amount of planning and and professionalism in terms of forecasting,、mm-hmm. then we can also execute on the plans much more professional and and agile. But it's all about you know communication and making sure that we execute on the plans.、Uh, if we don't know the plan, that can be a tough one. Angela, I want to call you out a little bit because at the beginning of the podcast, you said that the beer, wine, and spirits was a crisis-proof、uh, industry. After this conversation here, since we've talked about all this stuff, do you、yeah. still believe that? Ah,、uh, yes, totally. Because COVID definitely、uh, have shaped BWS distribution channel globally,、uh, especially you know ships from on trade to off trade because、mm-hmm. the hotel, restaurants, bars, pubs were closed. Then people、uh, managed to get. BWS from supermarkets or e-commerce,、mm-hmm. which is very convenient.、Uh, however, you know, following the COVID situation improvement, we can see on-trade will return at some stage for sure, and people will still love, you know, gathering for business dinner for parties. So on-trade will come back still. However, one of the note、uh, this industry has been、uh, discussing was that. The shippers or、uh, wineries dealers need to be aware what kind of product you will put onto on-trade channel in the future. Because、mm-hmm. people have been drinking at home, they have been drinking better, drinking different, drinking more varieties. So、mm-hmm. they will expect the same experience will be happening on the on-trade channel going forward. So you、mm-hmm. you probably need to be aware your entry level、uh, whether still suitable for your restaurant, and the people probably will you know get used to. Better quality or the complexity because their tasting buds already gets used to different product now. So you need to follow the consumers, you know, tasting changes and adjust your distribution channel too. 
Yeah. So, so you're saying then because of on-trade, off-trade, off-trade being at-home consumption, on-trade being consumption at hotels, yeah. uh, restaurants, things like that, you're saying because the, the consumer behavior has changed, that's going to affect the makeup of on-trade consumption. Uh, the, what in the what future. is available yeah, in the future, what is available at restaurants, what is available at the hotels, uh, high-end establishments and things like that. They're going to have different expectations when they yeah. decide to go out for dinner again. Yes, totally. Yeah, especially, you know, drinking at home, you know, spending so much time during COVID, people are more get used uh, or explore uh, food white pairing, different mm-hmm. uh, best, uh, uh, varieties. So they will definitely would like to continue the experience whenever, whenever, wherever they go, including Absolutely. restaurants, hotels. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah, that, and I can already see myself... <laughs> having different expectations already, right? If I'm going to yeah. go out to dinner, see or that's whatever. a good reflection. <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel like I've I feel like I've been studied, or someone's seeing me, and I didn't even realize. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, Angela, Andreas, Mateo, thank you so much for your time. I had a lot of fun talking about this. I think it's beer, wine, and spirits is something that for many years I've also been really interested in and passionate about myself. I love to make cocktails at home. So it was really cool to understand this world that I uh, didn't know really know much about behind the scenes. So really appreciate you all taking the time. Thank you. Do you know better now. I think I I think I know a lot better now. If I especially if my beer tastes funky, I I know who to okay. who to yell at. <laughs> Glad to hear. It's great. Yeah. It's a wonderful industry. You're welcome, Chris. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you've got questions or want to learn more about today's topic, check out the show notes for more information. And before you go, make sure you're subscribed on whatever podcast app you're using so you won't miss the next episode. To learn more about Expediters, you can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or simply visit us at expediters.com. Take care, and I'll see you next time.